Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder from Silver and Black Pride bringing you another edition of the Behind Enemy Lines podcast. This week, I got my friend John Sheeran from Cincy Jungle, SB's Nation site that covers all things Cincinnati Bengals. John, thanks for coming on, man. How are you doing? I'm great, Matt. How are you? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Not not too bad. The weather's ch- changing over here, but I'm out in California, so I think that means uh, I don't think I should be complaining about that to you. Are you over in Ohio? Well, well yeah. So it's like 68 here. It, it used to, it okay. was like in the 40s. So is it hotter in Ohio than it is in California right now? I, it might be. It might be. It's like uh, I think we're sitting at mid 60s right now. That weird time of year. But all right, there we awesome. go. Well, uh, tell you what, man. Uh, before we get into it, uh, where can the people find you? I know we're all football fans over here, so where can they get you out on social media? Yeah, so if you want to follow me for this week covering the game or forever, I guess, you can follow me at John2 underscores Sheeran, spelled like Ed's last name. And uh, you can <laughs> read all my work at cincyjungle.com. And you can catch my voice uh, for this week's episode on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. It's the Cincy Jungle podcast. We do shows every Wednesday. So yeah, check out our work on those platforms. Awesome. Well, everybody make sure to go follow John. We're all football fans here. Got to stay up to, beat, up to date on the, the Bengals out there. But I always like starting these things off by just talking about the team as a whole. The Bengals are an interesting one. Not too long ago, they beat the hell out of the Ravens. and were the first seed in the AFC and the AFC overall, but then dropped two in a row. So I'm curious, how are you feeling about the Bengals season so far and kind of moving forward since they're coming off that bye week and about halfway through the year? You know, it does feel like it's just regression to the mean as far <laughs> as just going back to where this team probably is to be the first seed in the AFC and this so-called lock for the playoffs. Like that was that was nice while it lasted, but I do think there were elements of the team that was probably overperforming, specifically on defense. And I don't think the defense is as bad as what we've seen against the Mike White Jets and the Baker Mayfield Browns, but it's not as good as what it was the first seven weeks. You know, this this defense was built in the vision of basically keeping Lamar Jackson limited because Lamar Jackson had dominated this team for the first three years of his career. So they invested a lot of resources to build that unit to stop that team for two weeks. But there's this other team in Cleveland that they that they still can't get over and they have this inability to make any rookie quarterback or any quarterback making his first start uncomfortable and they allow him to do whatever doesn't matter who the quarterback is they allow that quarterback to do whatever they want so there's these old issues that are still biting this defense in the butt but it is an improved unit and on offense it was like the offense was trying to catch up to the defense early in the season in terms of consistency and they looked improved compared to last year they're they're a lot more explosive but there are still consistency issues specifically with pass protection and just in terms of just passing the ball that consistency in itself of sustaining drives has not matched the explosive elements that they've added with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase going down the field. So there's a lot of small issues that are basically plaguing this team from being as consistent as their talent level indicates. So five and four is about probably where they should be based off of how this roster is constructed, but there is definitely opportunities for this team to be a lot better in the win column. Gotcha. So I'm curious, I'm obviously I know you're not in the locker room or even necessarily at practice every day, but was there like a different, like, did you notice a difference in the team from, like I was talking about that game against the Ravens to the last two weeks, or has it just kind of been like what you're talking about? Maybe a little bit of a, just that regression. I thought that after the Ravens game, because everyone was hyping them up as, you know, for where they were in the standings and whatnot. I thought that the the last two years under Zach Taylor would have prepared them to kind of handle success better. And they're always preaching about what, what culture they have in the locker room. And I think there's, there's some weight to that at least, but I think they, kind of bought into whatever hype that they were getting and they just didn't take the last two weeks as serious as they should despite some of the comments that that they made so I think the culture is different I think the the makeup of the locker room is different it's basically at this point 95 percent Zach Taylor's team three years into this thing there are a handful of veterans that were 
there at the tail end of the Marvin Lewis era, but those guys have now played, I think, the majority of their careers under Zach Taylor now, and they're all bought into what his vision is. And I think Taylor himself is a good manager of just player relations and just galvanizing people. And he kind of makes up for the lack of like play calling experience that he had coming into Cincinnati. So that was their vision of him as a head coach. And I think the culture in itself has now taken a, a good form, but now it's just about sustaining success, not just getting to this point, getting above 500 and, and competing for the playoffs. So that is the next question that I think we have to, you know, find the answer to with this locker room. But I do think it's well built and I do think they're continuing promoting and trying to live out the right message, which hasn't really been the case the first two years because you had, you know, different players, different veterans who weren't exactly bought into Taylor. And now most of those, if not all those players are out the door. So I think they have the right guys. It's just about now going from, you know, competing now to sustaining that success. Gotcha. Well, you're talking about making the next step. So I'm kind of curious if you think, are the Bengals quote unquote ahead of schedule on the, on the, uh, the rebuild cycle, if you will. They, they definitely seemed like that a couple weeks ago, right? I, I yeah. personally had this team in the 7, 8, maybe 9 win range this year just because of how competitive this division is, and it's proving to be extremely competitive. And just for the fact that their roster didn't seem like it was that ready yet to be a true playoff contender. And to be 5-2 and two with a defense that was producing well above its pay grade and an offense that was starting to find itself because you had Joe Burrow now kind of unleashed and more relying on his ability as a thrower and, and less relying on just the running game kind of carrying the offense. So things were coming together, right? And it was looking like they were just a year ahead of this and they're catching everyone by surprise. But again, it's now nine games into this thing. They have eight more to go to really fully answer that question. But I, I think if they finish around like, towards the end of the season in the wild card race, not necessarily even making the playoffs. That would, I guess, be where I would have them on schedule. If they make the playoffs and do something in the, in the playoffs, then yeah, I, I think we can safely say they're officially a year ahead of this thing, which it'll be interesting to see how they handle the offseason after that, gaining that level of success that not a lot of people expected them to do so. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I feel like, I feel like nine wins, not eight, that eight to nine win trade, like, I keep wanting to think eight and eight or uh, nine and seven, right. but of course now with nine and eight or eight and nine, but I feel like that's a good spot for the Bengals a realistic expectation, which like you said, I mean, to go from the, having the number one pick a couple of years ago to in the playoff hunt, not too long or in the playoff hunt in just two years, that's pretty impressive accomplishment, especially uh, as us Raider fans will, will know from uh, our recent history. But anyway, I do want to move on to the, to the quarterback and more specific on the player side of things. And Joe Burrow obviously suffered a pretty nasty knee injury almost a year ago to the day, um, but is, uh, he's playing pretty well this season. So I'm curious if this injury has affected his style of play at, at all. Early in the season, yes. I think against the Vikings and the Bears in weeks one and two, he took 10 sacks. And I think 43% of the pressures that the Bengals allowed on the offensive line, they turned into sacks. So you weren't seeing as much creativity with him extending plays and escaping the pocket and just scrambling in general. Week three, I think we saw a shift against the Steelers when the offensive line played their butts off and played really well. And then week four, we finally saw Burrow kind of starting to look like that 2019 version of himself when he was using his legs and throwing off platform and stuff like that. So we've more or less seen the, the real Joe Burrow for the better part of the last month now. It's just that I don't know if the lack of true off-season reps or just the fact that he's still young, it, it's why you're seeing some bonehead decisions from him, and that's why he's now tied for first in the NFL with interceptions. Aside from that, though, I think this is the Joe Burrow that the Bengals invested in or wanted to invest in because he's making big throws down the field, which wasn't the case last year, and I think there is renewed confidence in that knee now. We're now, like you said, a year after that injury, and it does... For some people, it does take a full year for that recovery cycle to really complete itself and to really find trust in that. So he's got enough reps at this point where he, I don't think there's any limitations on what they want him to do. Gotcha. Well, you mentioned uh, the pressure being a big factor, obviously, after suffering that issue, uh, that knee injury in, uh, on a sack. So I'm curious, has Burrow showed signs of like understanding more, taking control more of the protection in this year than uh, last year? 
so so what 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 do you mean by that? Like it, like adjusting like, the pressure. The- yeah, adjusting like the pressure is he kind of like I know with a lot of times rookie quarterbacks that's not something that uh, you're going to give them a whole gotcha. lot of control over over and is he kind of making more pre snap adjustments and that kind of stuff. See, that was the thing last year that I think they were comfortable with him doing. Like he was making checks with the line as a, as a rookie last year, and I, it's it's only been more um, on his shoulders this year. Like he doesn't necessarily call the plays, but I think Zach Taylor has trust in him to make those checks at the line and to adjust protection as as he sees fit the thing is with with burrow and you know you being covering the afc west you're gonna get might might be apprehensive about this but like it, it reminds me of patrick mahomes a little bit in the way that he kind of manages and handles pressure where it's like he could have five all pro blockers in front of him and he'll still be sacked like 30 times a year because i don't think he's the quarterback to ever truly fully take advantage of the protection in front of him despite that knowledge of knowing where the blitz is coming from and, and seeing um, blitz packages in the pre-snap phase and having the, the 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 intelligence to make those adjustments at the line he's always going to be that guy who just tries to make something out of nothing gotcha. and will refuse to give up on plays and that will lead to unnecessary hits and I think the Bengals eventually want him to limit that as much as he can but at the same time if you limit that then you also limit who he is as a playmaking quarterback and it's it's, just, it's a weird game to balance but in terms right. of just the pre-snap phase like you were talking about yeah they have full trust in him with that awesome so I'm kind of curious, where have you seen the most improvement from uh, Burrow from his rookie season to this year? I think he was phenomenal. It was weird because he was phenomenal throwing the ball in the intermediate portion of the field last year from like the 10 to 19 yard range. And for whatever reason, he could never he could just not connect with AJ Green down the field. There were, there was even troubles connecting with T Higgins down the field last year. So that's been the biggest jump and why you've seen a, a jump in his yards per attempt and his average depth of target just is accuracy down the field and it, it seems lazy to just attribute all that to Jamar Chase but it does kind of seem like that <laughs> is where that kind of comes from it's just that it's that chemistry it's that connection that they've had for the last three or four years now and it it, it happened immediately like it took a few preseason games to really to really fully get together but they didn't really have a lot of reps in the preseason together anyways because Joe Burrow didn't play in the preseason at all <laughs> and there are some issues in practice as well but as soon as week one happened like they had their first deep connection of the season and it took like six weeks for Burrow to really do that. So that has definitely been the biggest jump and why you've seen uh, the, uh, a big jump in, pr- in production. But as far as everything else goes, he looks like the same guy as last year, only just slightly a little bit better. It's just those interception numbers are just a little bit too high for the Bengals liking. Gotcha. So real quick before we move on to the wide receivers, uh, if you're calling the shots, you can do the draft again. You still take Burrow over Herbert? I, I do because the, I think the process was sound. I, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like everyone was very questioned. No one had any idea that Herbert was going to be this good. I think there was mm-hmm. potential of him eventually getting to this spot. But I remember looking at that Oregon tape and thinking, this guy's just not very good. And I think a lot of that, I guess, is because of Oregon's coaching staff and what how much they limited him. But And he just ended up in a great spot. But with the way that Burrow dominated that year, and it just seemed like there was very little chance that he wasn't going to be at the very least decent whereas the 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 wide range of outcomes with Herbert was so much larger and I think at this point now they're both in year two they're both pretty similar in terms of production Herbert's always going to have that higher ceiling but I think as long as Burrow's arm stays live for the next 10 years I don't think they're ever going to regret that decision yeah I mean I, I hear you I'm an Oregon fan I actually had my Oregon sweatshirt oh, on, wow. on uh, so and I would still take Joe Burrow over, over Justin Herbert I like Justin Herbert a lot I think it's a a lot closer than I thought it was going to be and a lot of people thought it was going to be between those two but I don't know there's something about Joe Burrow just seems to have a little bit more just uh from you know to use a term of that has no meaning at all a little more moxie to him a little more leadership uh quality to him I think you know comparing to to, to Herbert's just more introverted personality, which I know is a big uh, topic of discussion as well during the. But but I will say on, on that because that because that was the thing with Herbert coming out, right. like people were questioning his leadership abilities. I love Justin Herbert the person. I I, I watched yeah the, for like, sure the Chargers videos and he's just like the most chilled, laid back dude. But he knows for what sure. to do, and I think he galvanizes players a lot better than what the perception was coming out. So I'm just Definitely. ecstatic that his career is taking off this way for those questions about him. Definitely. We brought up Jamar Chase, so I think that's got to be the natural conversation. And he's off to a historic uh, rookie season so far. So 
Can you tell us what Jamar Chase has brought to this Bengals offense that they didn't have before? It's just that deep passing game. And it like it wasn't the only thing that Chase was good at at LSU, but it was a big reason for that production. Like he's not I don't think he's necessarily four three eight fast like he like he ran at his pro day, but he knows how to stack cornerbacks. And I think there's a lot more nuance in his route running than people gave him credit for. And the fact that we hadn't seen him for a year and a half, we didn't know what, how much more enhanced of an athlete he was or just enhanced as a route runner than he was because he hasn't played football in a while. But I think there's a lot of intricacies in his route running that is much better than what the perception is. He's not, he's not just the guy that just, that just runs deep and runs fast and gets on top of cornerbacks. I think he is a, a fantastic tracker of the ball. He understands leverage and route and route running. And obviously that chemistry with Burrow helps as well, but it's not just been the deep passing game. I, I think as the season has progressed, he's shown to be adept in, in the short pat in the short areas of the field and knows how definitely knows how to get yards after catch. Um, so it, it, it's definitely that deep passing game that's given the offensive boost and, it, that's exactly what they invested him with a fifth overall pick for because they didn't have that last year. And if they can have this for the, the foreseeable future, yeah, they're never going to look back. Gotcha. Well, I know there aren't many, but does Chase have one weakness besides no stripe on the ball? Or is there a certain like type of coverage <laughs> that he struggles with or a certain type of cornerback or anything like that? Yeah, like the last two weeks, because the Jets basically said, you're not going to beat us over the top. We're just going to go cloud coverage over you. And he kind of struggled a little bit um, with, with drops. And he had a couple drops against the Browns as well. And Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom, the, the duo, a cornerback for Cleveland, they played phenomenal games against him. And they didn't really allow him a lot of space. And I guess that's maybe his one weakness. Like, he's not going to be this silky, smooth route runner that will uh, generate separation against tight coverage all the time. I think the, his strength as a route runner can, get, can garner him that separation. But if cornerbacks are very quick and agile and can keep up and watch his hips and aren't fooled by any of the fakes. I think that his lack of separation in that sense can get him into some troubles. And unfortunately we haven't seen a lot of situations where he's hauled in contested catches. Like he hasn't had a lot of separation on his catches, but in terms of just going up and fighting for the ball, like that was a strength of his out of LSU. We haven't really seen that as of yet. So that, I guess that's just a question mark, not necessarily a weakness so far. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. So then who's going to win uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Jamar Chase or uh, Mac Jones? Well, this question was laughable to me like a month ago, but I guess I know, Mac right? Jones is is red hot right now. The <laughs> Patriots have won four in a row. And if that keeps up the pace and Mac Jones continues to play well, I think it's got to be Mac Jones because that's just that's just how these things go. Like Herbert right. won the Rookie of the Year when it probably should have been Justin Herbert, or excuse me, Justin Jefferson, Jefferson last year, and they could be the same situation again. So as long as the Patriots are good and Mac Jones is at least efficient, I think it's going to be him, but that doesn't take away what Jamar Chase is doing right now. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it's like going to be, like you said, similar situation last year. It's like there's a guy that deserves it, and then there's a guy that w wins it. And I feel like it's going to be, right. ironically, a quarterback and a wide receiver dilemma again. So <laughs> a couple of drafts ago, T. Higgins was a guy that a lot of people like to hate on. Wasn't the fastest guy in the world, not much of a separator, more of a contested catch guy, and kind of played with a, uh, a lot of talent in college, um, including a QB that everyone knew was going to be the number one overall pick this year. But he played really well as a rookie and is playing really well this year. Uh, my question is, what have you seen from Hagen so far, and do you think he's killing a lot of those pre-draft narratives? So there were high, high expectations with Higgins this year, and I think those were amplified because Jamar Chase was struggling during the offseason, at least in the latter portions of it. And Higgins was looking like a, like a brand new athlete in OTAs and in training camp. And we haven't really seen that dominant performance out of him this season, but I think he's much better than I can speak for myself. Like, I wasn't the biggest fan of T. Higgins coming out of Clemson because he never really asserted himself, I guess, as the number one receiver in Clemson. I, I thought a lot of that was Justin Ross at the time. And there were questions with his athleticism, but he, you know, just like Chase, he was 20 years old coming out of college. And for some of these guys, it does take a year or two for them to fully develop as athletes. And I think he looks a lot more athletic than he ever did at Clemson. That could just be attributed to he's just maturing. He's growing right. up right before our eyes. He's now 22 years old. And I, I think that was my biggest question along with the, the lack of dominant production out of him. And I think so long as he has a good matchup, I think you can you can count on him to be a consistently solid player. I don't know if he's ever going to be that 
number one guy like he was in that Clemson. And I don't think he has to be with Chase on the field. But I think the fact that he's just developing as a player because he's just just aging, he's just growing up, I guess. I think that is kind of killing those those pre-draft narratives a little bit. Awesome. Well, I like I mentioned, you know, Higgins has always kind of been known as uh, a really good guy in contested catches, but I saw he only has two touchdowns on the season. So I was just kind of curious, do you think the Bengals could or need to get him more involved in the red zone to take advantage of his skill set? Or is that just me to the ones box score scouting? No, like I, I, there's way to it because it, it's a it's a weird mystery. Like he was right. so good at this in college. And for whatever reason, when um, Joe Burrow throws it up to him in those situations, he hasn't really pulled down a lot of them there were a couple moments in the last couple weeks I think he had a pretty impressive one against the Jets but yeah I, I don't know if it's just the lack of timing or cornerbacks are getting the better the better of him in those situations but that should be a, a, a strength of his and I, I think he can still be eventually at some point in his career but that is something that I think he still has to continue working on I, I think he, he gains more separation than I expected him to but yeah that's gotcha. that's a situation where you would expect him to be a lot better at gotcha well just by looking at the target share and seeing since he take two wide receivers with top 35 picks over the last two years it kind of feels like tyler boyd is starting to get squeezed out would you say that's accurate and how big of a role is his offense in this uh how big is his role in this offense this season so he was like the king of third downs last year and the the, the rapport that he and burrow had was immediate and there have been maybe two games where that has looked like it like this year against the Jaguars. I think he had over a hundred yards on 10 or so catches. And a lot of them um, came via first downs or third down conversions. And that, that is his value. That is his role in the offense. And I, I don't think it's necessarily like, like Burrow blocking in on chase. It's just for whatever reason, um, they're not looking to Boyd and they're not giving him the routes where he's like first or second in, in the order of progressions or whatnot. I, his level of play I don't think has decreased but it does seem like uh, recently that he's just not been that involved in the game plan I think he's on pace for like maybe like 80 targets on the year and I think that's a little bit too low for him but that is the nature sometimes when you have explosive options on the outside and you know Jamar Chase is right now their best offensive player <laughs> and anytime that he doesn't get the ball you know their offense is a lot less explosive so I think it's still learning about how to fully integrate all three of these guys. I think they just kind of went with the hot hand with Chase for a little bit. But like you said, like, I mean, Higgins is still up there in targets. I think he has one more target than, than uh, Chase has on the year. And, you know, it, it could just be a situation where if they have a, a great matchup in the slot, then Boyd can get his 13 targets for that week and, and pop off. But I, I think they're just still f trying to figure out how to do it more with, with stability and with, with, with consistency and getting all three involved. Yeah, so almost a situation of uh, too many mouths to feed, kind of, if I, right. I can uh, pick up what you're putting down there. So I do want to talk about CJ Uzma before we move on to running backs and uh, offensive line. And I know Uzma had some big games early in this year, and but he's had quite a few quiet ones as well. So is he someone that Raider fans need to worry about, or is he more of a guy that just kind of reaps the benefits of the attention being uh, you know, el elsewhere on the field, and he kind of sneaks up every now and again? <laughs> it was funny because... Um... Last year, in the two games that Uzama played, he had 11 targets, like very quietly, and he caught Joe Burrow's first touchdown. Then he tore his Achilles, and you know people thought he was going to get cut or just be a non-factor in the offense this year with Chase now. But he's still like he's getting his share. He's getting his targets thrown his way, and maybe part of that is because there's attention on the receivers. But he's producing like a decent tight end and he's always been pretty athletic I don't think he's been like a great route runner but he does have a way of being on the same page with Burrow when plays go off script there were a couple plays I think week one on a, on a crucial fourth down connection he adjusted his route to get down the field there was one against Jacksonville on I think his second touchdown of that game and there was another example I think later on the season but he has a connection with Burrow and I think that has helped him produce in some big spots and keep him involved in the rotation. So it's not like you, it's not like Uzama's Darren Waller out there, but you know, when he's on the field, like he and Burrow are usually on the same page. And I think that has forced defenses to start accounting for him more. Gotcha. Okay. Good to know. Well, let's talk about Joe Mixon, who I'm really excited about. And I'm sure we have a lot of listeners who want to hear about him because he is from the Bay, Oakley, California to be specific. So I'm curious for your thoughts on him in general and how he's been playing this season. 
Yeah, I remember two years ago he scored a touchdown. His whole family was there in in, in, yep. in the stadium. He was he was dancing and everything. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how much how much of his family's out there in in a new city now. But I think he has been incredibly impressive, and I don't think it's a coincidence that with the re the reuniting of offensive line coach Frank Pollock, who was his offensive line coach or was the team's offensive line coach in 2018, and in 2018 Mixon led the AFC in rushing yards. Like Pollock has the offensive line playing really well as a cohesive run blocking unit and Mixon has benefited off of that. But there's also been times where Mixon hasn't had the greatest blocking, but he's doing a much better job of getting yards after contact and adjusting his reads in the zone and the zone blocking scheme. So he's taking advantage of what he's getting. And I think the production kind of speaks for itself. He's, I think, one of PFF's highest graded runners this year because of a lot of that uh, forcing missed tackles and absorbing contact and getting yards after contact. So I think he's arguably playing his his best year. And, you know, part of that is because they really fed him a lot in the first four weeks and his usage has been kind of decreasing ever since. And he's dealt with an injury, but I think he's playing really well this year. And the combination of that and the offensive line has pretty, has kind of helped the offense a little bit. Yeah. I know he's definitely been a, a great rusher in his, uh, in his career. And I know he's not your typical receiving or scat back, but I did notice that like about 15 or 15 out of 25 of his targets this season have come in three out of the last four games. So it was part of the Bengals offensive game plan to get him more involved in the passing game recently. Uh, I, maybe. Um, I, I think it's part of that is because like they've run into some issues of sustaining drive. So they've wanted to maybe get some, easy chunk plays with Mixon it's been weird because like he was used as like a wide receiver sometimes at Oklahoma and the Marvin Lewis team had no idea how to use him as a (laughs) as a receiving back and they always tease us that in the preseason of lining him out wide and sometimes doing in training camp you're thinking oh okay this is the year he's going to be used more as like a full-fledged receiver a la like Christian McCaffrey because he has that ability but it just hasn't really happened that much. And sometimes he lines out wide as a decoy, but the majority of his catches do come out of the backfield and they're pretty uncreative and therefore they don't get a lot of yards. So um, I, I don't know if I would buy into that increase in targets over the last couple weeks as something more of a sign to come. I think they really just have to prove it that they want to truly involve him in the passing game. But at the same time, again, like their, their best play has just been throwing up to Jamar Chase. So the more they deviate <laughs> from that without knowing what else they're capable of, I, I think they're just a little bit shy of doing that at the moment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Gotcha. Well, we've got to talk about the offensive line. And for the past year, since Burrow's injury that I mentioned at the top of the show, the Bengals offensive line has been a hot topic of discussion. Um, So as a whole, can you compare this year's unit to last year's? It's a lot better, but it's still not great, which should tell you how bad it was last year, (laughs) which, you know, sparked the whole conversation in the offseason. But no, like they're getting solid tackle play out of Jonah Williams and Riley Reef. Riley Reef replaced an awful right tackle and Bobby Hart from last year so that's an upgrade they're they're getting really good play out of left guard quit in Spain who was used all over the place last year and never really found a home so he's playing fantastic the issues are at center and right guard and even with those issues it's still a hell of a lot better of a unit compared to last year they have the same center as they did last year but he Trey Hopkins is still I think only 10 months removed from his own ACL injury and they wanted to have a rookie out there at right guard in Jackson Carmen, but he has dealt with COVID and then he got benched for an, another young player at right guard. So they have an inexperienced guy there regardless of who they play at right guard and they just can't really count on any consistent play there. So that is, I guess, the, the biggest uh, red flag for this offensive line along with 
an inconsistent center, but the other three positions are playing much better compared to where they were last year. Gotcha. Well, you talked about a lot of guys that I definitely want to dive into a little bit more, but the one guy you didn't mention that I definitely want to want to bring up is going to be Jonah Williams. Shout out Folsom, California out there. Um, okay. But uh, the discussion, discussion around the Bengals when they were talking about drafting, you know, Penny Sewell, I always found interesting because uh, like with the problems with the Bengals offensive line, I always felt, especially after signing Riley Reef, was the interior of, of, the, of, the, of the line. And I always kind of sat there and I'm like, but they have Jonah Williams, who I know has been banged up over the last few years. And I was just curious kind of like how he's been doing this year. And is he kind of starting to show um, that he's kind of or starting to show or prove that he can be a franchise left tackle? Yeah, it, it sucked for Williams because, you know, he, he got injured his rookie, his true rookie season. And then last year acted as his rookie season and he played really, really well. But there were some ugly moments and. You know, the fact that the entire rest of the offense line was was terrible, which is why, you know, it started like, oh, they need like a franchise left tackle. But that's what they drafted Jonah Williams to be like. There was no reservation when they drafted him in 2019. It was Zach Taylor's first draft pick. Like, we like this guy at left tackle. He's going to be our future left tackle. And that vision has not changed. Um, they wanted to give him this year, like another year to really prove himself. And I think for the most part, he has done that. He looks more or less like the same guy that he's always been. He's never going to be that dominant erasing guy like a Trent Williams but I think he's benefited from new coaching and Frank Pollock he's done a lot better in run blocking and he's been basically his same methodical technical self and pass protection but you know guys like Miles Garrett or other aliens at edge rushers they're going to give guys like him some trouble because he's not this mammoth at the position but as far as just a reliable solid left tackle yeah that's exactly who Jonah Williams is yeah Miles Garrett those kind of guys they give a lot of people trouble so no shame in that at all no shame in that. Um, you mentioned Bradley Reef, the free agent signing uh, on the other side at playing right tackle. Uh, so how has he worked out so far? I know you're talking pretty highly about him when you're talking about the line as general in general. Yeah, I think he looks about as good as a 32 year old tackle who was a, who was <laughs> cut by his former team. Like he's not bad necessarily, but you know I think there are some athletic limitations to his game now, and that just comes. With the territory of being a 10-year vet in a league where the average age is like 26. So there, there have been some ugly moments and there have been some ups and downs. But as far as, you know, what they're paying for, like 7 mil for this year, as far as what his experience is and how much, you know, tread is on those, tread is left on those tires, I think he's been okay. It's just a matter of, you know, how strong is he going to finish the season to potentially get re-signed for another year or do they look for a younger option, but I, I think they're getting what they're paying for, but it's not necessarily been, again, it's not like a dominant right tackle by any means. Yeah. That was one of the biggest things when I was talk, thinking about it last draft, I'm like, got Jonah Williams. Like I said, guy that's younger, give a chance to play some left tackle and then right of the reef, not the, not a world beater out there at right tackle, but get the job done and um, you know, kind of figure out, figure out the right tackle spot for the future or the future of that. And this off season draft somebody or maybe even extend Riley reef. So I'm uh, on board with what the Bengals were doing over there. And real quick, before we move on to defense, uh, I know you mentioned right guard and center, a bit of a bit of the issues right now. So can you just kind of briefly go over who's going to be playing center and who might be playing in at right guard since Jackson Carmen, it looks like he's going to get benched uh, for the second week in a row. Right. So it's still Trey Hopkins at center. I think they still want to give him as many opportunities to improve off of what he was doing in the first half of the season. His backup is, no good. He's averaging a penalty every 20 snaps that he's been playing in, in the games. So Yikes. he's just not ready to go. And right guard is going to be Hakeem Adeniji, who was a sixth round pick last year out of Kansas. Um, he actually, I think, tore his pec or something in the offseason. And they put him on the NFI list, the non-football injury list, to begin the season. So no one expected him to really return. And then he did, I think, after week eight. And in his first week back at practice, yeah, go ahead and start at right guard and <laughs> you know t take that chance and he didn't look worse than Jackson Carmen but he didn't really look particularly great so I think that could have just been rust and playing a new position but you know they, they want to give him a shot they like his athleticism there he's a lot more fluid of a pass protector compared to Carmen but not necessarily like a dominant road grading run blocker but yeah he's going to be out there against the Raiders at least for this week and if he plays decently he could be out there for the rest of the season gotcha so it sounds like they're still kind of feeling out that position right now Right. Gotcha. Well, let's flip sides of the ball. And I want to start off by talking about the edge rushers, Trey Hendrickson and, and Sam Hubbard. 
Those two aren't exactly household names, but they are some damn good players. So can you tell us what they bring to the table? They are exact opposites of each other. Trey Hendrickson <laughs> is a really productive pass rusher. Nothing really flashy. He's not like the most athletic guy. He's not the most imposing guy, but I think he just knows how to win as a pass rusher. And, and that's what he showed last year with the Saints. A lot of people, including myself, didn't think it was sustainable, but it has proven to be sustainable. He's on pace for like 17 sacks, and <laughs> that's backed up with a high pass rush win rate, according to Pro Football Focus. So he's been dominant as a pass rusher, but he's not that good of a run defender. Sam Hubbard is a dominant run defender, but he's not that good of a pass rusher. A lot of his production comes from just plain weak right tackles. If he has a decent matchup there, he's going to take advantage. I think I remember back in 2018 when they were still having like Colton Miller against the Raiders. So they had Colton Miller yeah, right tackle. I think Sam Hubbard did no, pretty Brandon well. Parker, because... Yeah, it was Brandon Parker on the Brandon Parker on the right who had given up like the third gotcha. most sacks in the NFL, and then Colton Miller on the left, who at the time had given up the most sacks in the NFL. I remember that game. Yeah. Yeah, well, good was, news is was, for you that the the tackles are still Brandon Parker and Colton Miller, but Colton Miller is a lot better. I will say that a lot, incredibly <laughs> a lot better. Like yeah. I didn't think he was that good out of UCLA, and then he didn't too well in his rookie year, but he's done incredible, and yeah. I think he's now paid like a really good left tackle now. So he you know, is. Hubbard usually produces well against subpar right tackles, but if you have a right tackle that knows how to manage his moves, he'll be more of a non-factor in the passing game, but he is still a really good run defender, and that's exactly why they, they paid him in the offseason. Gotcha. Well, I think uh, you kind of already answered this, but I'm just curious, how has the addition have of Hendrickson helped take some of the pressure off Hubbard, and how do they kind of complement each other? It kind of sounds like Hendrickson's taking on more of that pass rushing role, and whereas Hubbard's uh, can kind of go back to being more of that run defender. So if, that, um, if I'm understanding you correctly there. Yeah, I think it was it was nerve wracking for about an hour for the Bengals when Carl Lawson left for the Giant for the Jets, excuse me, and then they upped the offer to get Hendrickson to replace him because they were in no position to enter the draft with Sam Hubbard being their best edge rushing, um, pass rushing defensive end. So I, I'm not sure that necessarily like they, they like take pressure off each other when they're on the field because they're you know they have their own individual right. assignments and whatnot. But I think it's definitely good that they don't have to rely on Sam Hubbard to be their best and only chance of getting pressure off the edge. I think they're getting exactly what they're paying for in Hendrickson, and they're getting exactly what they paid for in Hubbard. There's a reason why one makes $5 million more on average per year than the other, and it's because that guy can consistently rush the passer, and the other guy is just a really good run defender. Gotcha. Well, DJ Reader is another guy that isn't well-known, but is another hell of a player. So enlighten us and uh, tell us what Reader means to this defense with Bengals. He got hurt last year in like week five, and that was just one of the several injuries that they've had at defensive tackle. And this year it's been the opposite. Reader and basically everyone in that position has stayed healthy. And he quietly took a jump as a pass rusher, I think, in his last year with the Texans. And he looks like an improved pass rusher compared to what he was, I think, in his early years with with the Texans. He's still a really good run defender, but he has gotten push and gotten penetration against the pass, and I think that's definitely helped Like guys like Hubbard and Hendrickson kind of finish those sacks. He's been like their most reliable interior pass rushing presence, which is surprising because he's a 330-pound nose tackle for most of the time, but he's quicker than you would think for his size, and he knows what to do with his hands, so He's playing like an all-around great defensive tackle, which is good because they're paying him a lot of money to be that. Yeah, gotcha. That's good to hear because I always knew Reader was a was a good run defender with the Texans. Didn't realize his uh, his pass rush is good. So good to hear from him. The last defensive lineman I want to touch on is Larry Ojanobi. Uh, probably butchered that last name, but is he someone Ogunjobi. that the Raiders need? Ogunjobi. 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 All right. Eventually, I'll get it right. But uh, is he someone <laughs> that the Raiders need to worry about? He. Do you follow baseball a lot, Matt? I do. I do. I am a big baseball fan. Larry Ogunjobi is the left is the left fielder who bats like 160, but finishes the year with 45 home runs. Joey he Gallo is the ultimate. Exactly. He, yes, he's Joey Gallo. He the equivalent of striking out and hitting <laughs> bombs. He'll he'll finish his pressures with sacks. He'll get tackles for loss, but he'll miss a ton of tackles. And he won't win as a pass rusher that much. It's just that when he does win, he gotcha. is an incredibly explosive athlete that tends to finish at the quarterback. So he has like four sacks and like 10 tackles for loss, but also 10 missed tackles. And he's <laughs> one of the worst defensive tackles that winning consistently as a pass rusher, according 
to, to like win rates. So it's either great or awful with Ogunjobi. And that's, I think, been the case for him for most of his career. I think th- they just kind of have to live with the fact that he's going to have some of those negative plays as long as he continues to capitalize on the pressures that he has. I think he's still worth being out there, though. Gotcha. I like that analogy. I'm going to steal that from you. Uh, a home run hitter <laughs> as a defensive lineman. I don't, don't know if I've heard that one before, but I like it. Moving on to linebackers, it looks like the, there are only three guys, the Bengals, that have really played regularly. So I'm curious, how big of a role does that position really play in Cincinnati's defense? They've mainly just used two. Like, they like to use three against the Ravens for their specific Lamar Jackson defense, but it's mainly just been Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt as your starters. And Wilson took a phenomenal leap early in the season. I think he had like four interceptions in the first yeah. five weeks, but he's run into some tackling issues as with the rest of the defense. So he's kind of come back down to earth a little bit, but Jermaine Pratt has been solid as well uh, next to him. It's mainly just been those two guys because they like to stay in, in nickel defense and yeah, they're, they've, they've suffered some injuries behind them. So they're going to have to rely more on those guys and less of a rotation that they would have preferred to have, but it's mainly just been Wilson and Pratt and they've been more or less solid this year. Gotcha. Well, I did want to ask you about Wilson, and I uh, kind of took the words right out of my mouth there. Uh, wanted to ask you about his his hot start, and I know his uh, last few weeks haven't been as pretty. So is that uh, our defense, our offense is kind of attacking him recently. I, I noticed the Jets targeted him like 14 times, and uh, yeah. the majority of which was with, with running back. So is he just a guy that maybe is good in coverage but isn't the greatest tackler in space, if I can pick up from that from what you're saying? Yeah, against the Jets specifically, he was asked about like the – insane amount of yards after catch that the Jets had and he said something to the nature of yeah I I think we just uh, went too deep in our drops and allowed too much in front of us and we just didn't tackle so he specifically addressed that issue in that game and I think he played a little bit better in coverage against the Browns but they just do not know how to tackle Nick Chubb as as does most (laughs) of the rest of the league doesn't know how but like he was annihilated against him last year and it's been more of the same story this year so those two games have really put put a damper on the the start that Wilson has had but I think he's a he's a decent athlete he knows where to be in coverage and I think when he gets downhill he's fine as a tackler but it's some of those open field situations where he's still just a little bit too slow and doesn't quite wrap up as much as he as he uh, should gotcha I am curious about him as a, a run defender too is he a pretty good is he pretty solid against the run or is he more of a coverage guy yeah I think he's he's okay I, I think he's probably better there than than he is in just playing coverage i don't think he's like a phenomenal coverage guy i think the four interceptions is a little misleading he just happened to be at like right place right time but he's not the guy that that will stick to running backs or tight ends and coverage and and smother them I, I i don't think really think they play that kind of defense that much i think they just ask him to to just drop back in zone but when he gets down when he gets when he gets downhill and you know the defensive tackles keep him clean he'll meet guys in the gap and make stops there it's just he's still just trying to i guess you know find he's he's just a little bit too slow sometimes in space and i think that's where he gets into trouble gotcha well i'll be honest i don't know a whole lot about the other two linebackers that have played significant minutes for cincinnati this year akeem david davis gaither and jermaine pratt like you mentioned before so i'll just ask who are they as players and are either either of them someone raider fans should know about yeah pratt is going to start next to wilson and i think he's has a lot of the same strengths and weaknesses as uh logan wilson he was like a converted safety out of college but he wasn't like as agile enough to, to stay that spot so he upped his weight now he's at like 240 and when he gets downhill he's, he's much more of a thumper compared to wilson but at the same time he's not as adept in coverage but he's been a lot more consistent than he has been in, the, in his first two years unfortunately davis gather uh had like a foot injury last week so he is on sure. ir and will not play in this oh, okay. game and, and like their other backups, like one of them has COVID and they hope to get him back this week. But if he doesn't, it'll be two other backups that like, not, not a lot of Bengals fans even know much less Raiders <laughs> fans know. Gotcha. So it sounds like the, uh, the Bengals will be playing a lot of nickel on, on Sunday then. hundred percent. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, let's move back another level and talk about the secondary. Jesse Bates is another guy for the Bengals uh, that doesn't get a lot of love, but is a really good player. So I'll give you the opportunity to educate some people on Jesse Bates. What does he bring to the table? So last year, Jesse Bates was amazing. You know, he was making impact plays and coverage. Um, he finished with like 12 passes defensed. He, he's basically just used as a center field safety. They like to play a lot of single head coverage. And this year, like he was he was doing pretty well. And 
uh, through the first three weeks. Then he suffered a neck injury in like uh, in the end of the Steelers game week three, and ever since then he just hasn't really been the same. He unfortunately is just he's missing tackles, which has been unfortunately a, a continuing issue for him in his career. And for whatever reason, he's not really been making that many plays in coverage. And I don't know if it's just opposing uh, quarterbacks avoiding him or he's just been a little bit too slow. But there have been moments where you expected Jesse Bates to make that play, and for whatever reason, he was just half a step too slow. And then he, I think he talked to reporters um, th- this week about, you know, my focus wasn't all the way there. And I think a lot of that was because he's playing in a contract year. Contract talks uh, stalled before the season because the Bengals were, I guess, lowballing him. So, th- you know, you, sometimes that has an effect of boosting a player's performance because they're playing for money for that new contract. And for other players, it becomes a distraction. And I think that has been the case with Bates. It's more of the latter. So hopefully he kind of gets back in the right headspace and he, he earns that paycheck that he wants, but also the Bengals defense kind of gets boosted because he's not playing as, as well as he should right now. Gosh, yeah. I, for some reason, I thought he'd uh, signed a big deal, but I forgot that it was a, they hit, hit a, a snag in negotiation. So it's yeah. an interesting factor that could definitely play in. But the rest of Cincinnati's secondary is an interesting collection of guys that were Failed first or second rounders elsewhere. Bengals are getting a lot of a lot out of them so far this year, but you got Vaughn Bell, Jadobi Awuzie, Eli Apple, Vernon Hargraves. And I know he's hurt right now, but even Trey Wayans falls into that category too. So tell me, how has this like reclamation project worked out for the Bengals so far? This is not like anything new um, for, for the Bengals. Like this happened like even before Zach Taylor. Marvin Lewis would love to uh, bring in with his defense coordinators like former first round cornerbacks like Adam Jones, Terrence Newman, Nate Clemens. There's a lot of guys right. back in the day. They love to invest first round picks, whether <laughs> it be street free agents or actual draft picks at the position. But specifically with Von Bell and Awuzie, those two have been carrying the secondary on their backs. Von Bell is playing as well as, as you could possibly expect him to because he's not this great coverage player. He's more of a run defender, but he's been playing more in some in some deep coverage shells, and he's honestly been pretty decent and Awuzie through the first I think seven weeks was I think PFF's like number two cornerback in terms of coverage grade like it was it was insane like we we had not seen that out of him in Dallas and I for whatever reason he seems to be really comfortable (laughs) in the scheme um he obviously the entire defense hasn't played well recently so we've seen a little bit of a drop off there but he's playing phenomenal and you know they expected Trey Waynes to be the number one cornerback but with him out Awuzie has kind of assumed that role and he's really stepped up and you know, teams still want to target him, and he's not really allowing a lot of catches. He's been phenomenal in man coverage. Eli Apple um, has been okay, I think, as good as you could expect Eli, Eli Apple to be, but sometimes he does kind of get burned, and you just kind of have to live with that. We haven't seen any of Aaron Hargraves yet, but we could see him this week if uh, there, have, there happens to be an injury here. Gotcha. Yeah, Eli Apple was a, was a Raider for last year for about five minutes, so <laughs> <laughs> know how that how that can go. Uh, the last guy I want to talk about that we haven't yet is Mike Hilton. Uh, not a former first rounder, but someone the Bengals stole from Pittsburgh and has been pretty good slot corner for a few years now. Can you describe Hilton's skin set, skill set and how you think he matches up with a shifty guy like Hunter Renfro? Well, for the Raiders fans who are listening to this, I think this is the matchup that the Raiders should look to exploit. Good because to Hilton's game, like he's he's really good as a blitzer. He's really good at defending the run downhill. But he is not that good of a coverage guy, which you know can be a problem when you're a slot cornerback going up against <laughs> shifty slot receivers. So Hunter Renfro is a f- phenomenal slot guy, and he has obviously has a connection with Derek Carr that should um, you know be accounted for. And I don't think that Hilton is the guy that can stick to him. I think they're going to have to do something in terms of zone coverage to try to, to try to take away some of those soft spots and not put it all on Hilton. But if there comes a time when Hilton has man coverage on, on Renfro, I think I would take Renfro in that matchup because I don't think Hilton is necessarily that guy. And I really like Mike Hilton, but you know, there are limitations with this game. Gotcha. Well, that's good to hear. I'm, I got to say, that's probably one of the, the nicest things I've heard you say all day. So I'm glad we uh, could wrap up <laughs> with that part. Awesome. Well, I always talk and these things by talking about the head coach and this is a pivotal year three for Zach Taylor. So what are your thoughts for him uh, as a coach? Because there has been some rumors heading into the season that he might be on the hot seat. I think the, the biggest thing for him was as long as he's getting good play out of Joe Burrow, I think he's, he's here to stay for, for now. I think they want to keep that continuity because that's what the Bengals love. They, they love good old continuity. Um, <laughs> they don't like to change that much. And he's now got like 18 or so games with Burrow and Burrow has produced pretty well. 
And that was the whole thing with Zach Taylor. He was this offensive-minded guy. He had experience as a quarterback's coach. You know, he didn't have a lot of experience as a play caller, but he he was, he was a pretty smart dude. And again, he manages guys well in the locker room. And he's still growing as a play caller. But when you have a guy like Burrow who can make those checks at the line and as cerebral as he is as a football mind, I think the, the, the pair of Taylor and Burrow has worked out pretty well so far now that everything's kind of healthy and, and kind of guys are clicking. So I think the, the hot seat questions have been erased for now. As long as he finishes you know, close to the playoff race, we, we don't even need to bother discuss, discussing it. Now, if things go off the rails here and they go like 1-7 in the <laughs> final games, maybe we can restart that conversation. But for now, as long as they're getting good play out of Burrow and Burrow's healthy, I think Taylor's here to stay and they will let him continue growing as a coach. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think if they can do kind of what you're talking about, get to that nine-win mark, finish the year 4-4 four and four and – at least be uh, in the playoff discussion. I think that's a pretty damn good job by Zach Taylor and uh, at least by him another year. But this was a few years ago, and I once compared Taylor to uh, former Raiders and current Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin. Both guys were uh, young when they were hired, hadn't spent any time as NFL offensive coordinators before coming in head coach, and even were tied to LSU quarterbacks to start the beginning of their career. So we got that connection as well. Um, and they were taken over in some pretty ugly situations. So I'm curious for your thoughts on that comp. comp. Granted, Taylor's already had more success than Kiffin as the head coach, so I'm not thinking that one's working out well for me right now. No, 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 no. I don't want to disrespect your comp because they have a lot more in common than I thought. It's just that I think of the personalities, and I think like they can't very be, different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he's just a funny dude, you know. And like yeah. I think Taylor, he, he Taylor's not like stoic and like Belichick like, but I don't think there's a lot of personality with him. He just he's just a guy I'm that likes dryer. to coach and. Yeah, he's, he, he likes his job. He likes hanging around, hanging out with the players. He gets serious when he needs to, but he's not he's not like a, he's not like a goofball like Kiffin. But I, I that's a pretty good comp compared to what the resumes are, and I, I think there there is some weight to that. Um, but I don't even Lane Kiffin would have lasted in, with Cincinnati because again they don't like firing coaches. Gotcha. Well, I'll tell you if uh, Zach Taylor ever kicks a seventy three yard field goal, then uh, I'll feel a little bit more confident in it. So, well, we shall see. <laughs> John, thanks again for coming on. One more time, where can people find you out on on, on social media? Yeah, you can follow me, uh, John two underscores Sheeran, and read all of our work and listen to our words or our voices at cincyjungle.com. Awesome. You guys know where to find me on Twitter, Adam Holder95. Of course, follow Silver and Black Pride. Other than that, until next time, guys. <laughs>